I'm Drew Holmes. When I started learning to make music, I thought that the only way to have a career in the industry was as a performer. I could not have been more wrong. In more than 25 years in the music business, I've done many non-performing jobs from orchestra librarian to music store owner. But my experience is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm on a mission to explore the exciting and necessary jobs that make performances possible. Come with me as we go Beyond the Stage. Right, so we're here at CMEA with Danielle Gillespie from Music at Main Street. Hello. And um, I do a podcast, and I'll probably uh, use this for it with your permission, of course, uh, that I call Beyond the Stage. And that is about non-performing careers in music. And so obviously, um, knowing what you do and you know what we've uh, done in collaboration, I wanted to delve into you know kind of your background, how you got into it, uh, where you started, where you're at, that sort of thing. Sure. So uh, take it away, uh, okay. Danielle. Um, well, explain what you do now, and then we'll kind of reverse from there, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, can I take my mask off? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I absolutely would. Yeah. Sorry. I think we're just as enough. And we're uh, yeah. There we go. We're, we're at a point here where we're not you know. <laughs> uh, mingling amongst everybody. I just thought so I of that and I was like, oh, yeah, I take this off. Um, yeah, so I, well, I guess without giving you my whole life story, I was never really intending to be a musician with my career. I kind of always thought it was a hobby thing and I really wouldn't ever pursue it seriously. I was involved at church, I was involved at school, I was in the children's corral in Colorado Springs as a kid. and So I just kind of always thought it would be like a hobby side thing that I did because I liked mm -hmm. it. And then I was an international business major and then took an opera scenes class and thought, <laughs> oh, maybe I should do this as a career. So I finished my degree at the University of Denver at the Lamont School of Music. And while I was there, I did a production of The Producers with Inspire Creative, um, which is now the Inspire Theater Company that worked through the Pace Center in Parker. And I uh, had a blast. It was really fun. Mel met Ralph Newman, who was the um, president and founder of Inspire Creative. And then I kind of put it away, and I didn't think about anything. And I graduated and had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, in the end of 2015, um, someone from Inspire Theater contacted us, uh, my husband and I, who he's also a music uh, person, and they said, hey, we're opening this little lesson studio. You guys want to come teach? And we didn't have jobs because we just moved back from overseas. And so we said, sure, we'll, we'll come teach lessons. What, no big deal. And now, six years later, we're here. We have a, uh, a private music lesson studio with 12 teachers and uh, over 120 students. Um, we do. Uh, all kinds of events and things. We've had an immersive symphony concert and we've had um, murder mystery dinner theaters and all kinds of recitals and open mic nights and, and random Christmas shows and things like that. Um, and then what uh, the cool thing that's happened in this last year because of uh, COVID is that I came back to the Children's Chorale and I'm now a, a one of their vocal coaches and a director of one of their choirs in Colorado Springs. So it's all kind of coming full circle where I'm coming back to my musical roots that I had as a child. So yeah, it's been really fun. You kind of do all the eclectic stuff and then figure out how it all fits together. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I'm realizing, oh yeah, I really do like teaching. That was kind of something that I, I didn't think that I was gonna like long term. I just thought I was doing it for the time being, but the more that I do it, I just keep going, oh yeah, I really love teaching music. Like it's really a, becoming more of a passion and I'm seeing it more as a career, so. Yeah. And, and that's why I talk about you know, non-performing, because you know, growing up you're always like, oh, you know, it's fun being in the band or it's fun being in the choir, but you can't make a living at this, so right. you know, i got to go get a real job. I mean, yeah. you know, for me, in college, I mean, I swore I would never go to college in New Jersey and I would never major in music, so of course I did both. Yeah. And, <laughs> and ended up um, 
getting into doing orchestra library work. I, 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 wa I wanted to get into astronomy. I thought that'd be really fun, so I was taking physics. And one day I'm like, man, I just don't want to go to lab today. So I didn't. I went and practiced instead. And then music was just kind of the way to go from there. Right. And um, so then, uh, I know I'm talking about me, but whatever. Uh, no, but that was similar because yeah. I, you know, I always, in, in college, I did my first year at CSU and transferred to the University of Denver. And it was the same kind of thing. I, I took it as an elective because it was something that interested me. So I can remember being in an international business track and taking all these gen eds. And I was like, well, I need something fun to do. So I went and did a freshman voice studio class at CSU. And that yeah. kind of brought me in. And I took another elective as a music history class. And then when I, then I found an opera scenes class and went, really just like this. I kept kind of coming back to it. So it just finds you, I think, if it's in your blood. And the other thing I was thinking about when you said, uh, you know, the teaching thing, I just really, it's funny, I think everybody thinks that they have to go to school for performance and then you can never teach or, or yeah. you're like giving up on your stage career. I still have lots of performance opportunities and I've done some really cool things. I'm singing Mary Magdalene as uh, Lamb of God in March and I get to sing through my church. I get to sing. Uh, I did a bunch of Christmas shows. We were in production. So there's always something to do. And, and the cool part about teaching is that you find this network of musicians who you get to work with that are really fun and like-minded individuals. So Yeah. And and music doesn't have to be a performing career. I think, I think that's what gets lost sometimes yeah. is that there's a lack of examples of what you can do to stay involved. I mean, I've moved all over the country and everywhere that I've gone, I've found a community band to play in. Yeah. And that's just a really great way to get grounded in the in the community in general as well as the musical community. Yeah. I mean, but it doesn't have to be your primary job being a performer and being up there on stage. I mean, it's, it's nice if it is, if that's what you want to do, but right. music can be so much more than that. And and that's where, you know, I get into, you've got, you know, a lesson studio now. I yeah. Mean, it's, it, so... How did that like really evolve from where you're at to, to where it's at now? Or I should say, the, the before times. <laughs> the before times. What, what, what was the intent with the studio? And then we could talk about where you're at now. Sure, the intent with the studio originally was because um, our founders, Ralph, uh, Ralph Newman and Tanner Kelly, were always approached through Inspire Creative. Do you guys teach lessons? Uh, we loved coming to the show. Do you guys teach lessons? Do you guys teach piano? And at the time, they were had nowhere to really teach that and so they could do it out of their home and so I was like no not really you know kind of and then um, one of them got a job at Parker Performing Arts and, and again same people really really juicy and they were walking down the street and saw a for rent sign that had just gone up that day downtown Main Street right down the street from the Pace Center and they said oh we could do lessons here and it was already outfitted as a chiropractic office so it had little lesson rooms perfectly ready to go and so that was really the intent of, of just doing lessons at the beginning and then kind of we were next to an auto shop so we would be doing lessons in piano and you'd be hearing like carburetors being fixed next door and it was really loud and banging and then um, his lease ended and he left and we had the first option to take a space that was a giant garage with nothing in it and we said well what can we do here and so we turned it into a performance space and and now we've done comedy events and and recitals and open mics and all of these really fun random events that have happened um, since and those have been so fun um, we've done I think the one that I really really loved was the immersive symphony we did with Augustana and they came in um, and they set up a, a giant circle outside in our parking lot kind of we have like a grassy lot next to our building and we had this immersive symphony concert where people who don't know anything about music come and experience an orchestra from within the orchestra and it was you know so cool we had such positive feedback from it and and so with that and the community outreach that has kind of happened as a result 
result over the last six years, that's what's made it kind of a little bit more special than just, hey, come and learn how to do piano. Because it makes, it says, oh, come and learn piano, but also get plugged into this network of a bunch of music stuff going on. And that's what's more fun, because then if you're not, if you're doing one musical thing, I think you get bored. I think yeah. eventually you get burnt out and you go, I'm just kind of done. But and I do the same thing as a classical musician. I, I would pour it into a little bit of jazz and a little bit of music theater and then early music ensembles and then new composers and all this kind of stuff. And I think the projects kind of fuel our creativity and keep us interested and passionate in what we're doing. Well, and, and I always compare music making to uh, committing a crime. You need motive, <laughs> means, and opportunity. There you go. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the, the means are, you know, the equipment, you know, instruments and things like that. And the motive is, you know, it could be the, the lessons and it could be just, you know, that, that passion for music. But the opportunity to turn that into something, you know, to, to perform, to, to do that. And, and that's great that you're doing that because yeah. I hate practicing. Oh, me too. And I quit piano as a child and then kicked myself when I went to college and thought, oh, crap, but now I have to do piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, so I tell all my students, I say, hey, you know, be honest. I know you don't practice at home. It's I was not, I was the same kid. I hated practicing. And one of the things as a teacher is now, how do I teach that kid who hates practicing how to practice in an efficient way so that they actually might like it to do it? And do, don't do my mistakes. Learn from me and do better, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and but yeah, having a goal, having a purpose. And, yeah. and that's, that's really awesome that the uh, Music at Main Street started that way, kind of as a, not a, in a vacuum as, oh, we teach lessons, have fun, but as a support to existing yeah. streams of performance. Absolutely. And then expanding that with the uh, the garage. I mean, I've been in the space, it's been a little while, but uh, it's it's an awesome space. And it's really, yeah, it's kind of a funky, it's got a funky feel to it, right? We And part of it was just naturally, we had all these set pieces from different shows that we've done that we kind of needed to do something to the space. Well, what do we have that could make this look cooler? Oh, we have a proscenium from Streetcar Named Desire. Let's hang that. It looks so cool. And then it fit perfectly and we added other things and it's just a very eclectic environment. But when you say the whole opportunity thing, I think they need some to know that there's somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that I've seen from working with the Children's Chorale is able the ability to see where your future is musically if you want it to go that way. And then reverse of that, being able to look on where you came from. One of the coolest things that I see with my students is that they can remember, oh yeah, I used to only be able to play like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And look at all these cool things that I'm able to do. And then look at all these people that are now doing it professionally or in college or in high school. Um, and I can have that possibility. And this is these are the steps I need to get there and to grow as a musician. That's so important. And I think if you're just thinking, oh, I just want to learn the ukulele for like five songs, you, you lose some of that. Um, so that's one of our big goals is to get them to see where they could go with the music that yeah, they're doing. Yeah, an immersive experience. Yeah. I grew up outside of Boston, and we would do children's concerts going in to see the Boston Symphony. Yeah. And that kind of stuff's important, but I think you've even taken it to the next step by having people integrated in with the ensemble and being able to see it from the musician standpoint. Right. I mean, it, I think at this point I've attended more concerts on the stage than off them, <laughs> and, and it, but it, it's a completely different experience participating in it versus um, just being out there, but, but it's all important. It's all relevant. And it helps you catch the bug faster. Yeah. If you see and put yourself in those shoes, it totally helps you kind of drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and go, wow, this is so fun. And getting and getting the more opportunities that kids have right off the bat to perform in front of people and to feel that kind of rush of energy that was why we are still here doing music or feel that blend with another, uh, you know, getting them to collaborate with other instruments or listening to other parts, doing duets early on, 
So they're feeling that kind of magic that we feel when we do stuff um, is so beneficial to them. And that's what really keeps kids motivated to do stuff from every age, every single age. I think, you know, if you're doing something by yourself, you get discouraged, you kind of lose sight of where it's going. But if you're connected into other people in a network of opportunities and, and other musicians and other styles of music, you'll stay a musician for a long, lot longer time. Let's take a quick time out to hear from our sponsors. Beyond the Stage is proudly sponsored by Boomer Music Company, Northern Colorado's band and orchestra experts since 1976. If you need instrument rentals, repairs, sheet music, or accessories, Boomer Music has you covered. Come to our Fort Collins showroom or visit us online at www.boomermusiccompany.com. Thepodcastingstore.com is your one-stop shop for all things podcasting and remote learning and a proud sponsor of Beyond the Stage. Whether you're a novice remote teacher or a veteran podcaster, we have the gear and the knowledge to take your content to the next level to better engage your audience. Check us out at www.thepodcastingstore.com and see what solutions we have for you. Now, let's continue our journey beyond the stage. Well, and that leads into the next thing I wanted to talk about with the connectedness, because now we're opening back up. You're here at CMEA for the first in-person conference in like two years now. Um, I imagine, considering the nature of what you do, it's all in-person, it's all group, it's all interactive. What, have you been able to weather the storm? Or I, I should say, I've heard it said, we're not all in the same boat, we're in the same storm. Yeah. And so how, what did you do to still be here today? Because not everyone is. Right. Um, I really think online lessons are what saved us, uh, truly. And it's interesting what, which lessons translated really well to online versus which ones struggled and we had to work much harder to. You know, I think piano lessons are the easiest thing to teach online. Yeah. If you have a picture of your hands and you have a picture of your face and you can have good audio, there, I mean, there, there's so many things you can do online with resources now and technology that's just incredible. Um, so online lessons were huge. I know that there's different, when you get into other instrumental lessons where you really need to have hands-on and close to, and you need, violin is one of those that's a lot harder to do online. Say, yeah. But still, you know, with technology, if you can get good lighting and you're patient and sometimes have to change your lesson approach, it can be really successful. Um, it wasn't ideal, and vocal, I know vocal lessons for me was really frustrating sometimes because I can't adjust, yeah. you know, posture, I can't really talk or it's hard and now with masks it's hard to see people's vocals and vowels and things and so you just kind of got to do what you can do and 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 be patient and, and adjust and be flexible um i think the the one benefit is that now with my choirs and with my with my students who i do get to be back in person with there's this feeling of kind of just gratitude to be doing it again um and i know a, a lot of people have felt that across the board of just we, we're here because we love doing it and we're making the sacrifices because it's worth it. And getting that message across to students so that they feel that too of like, we wanna be here, we wanna sacrifice wearing masks, doing air exchanges, doing all this mitigation so that we can do make music and it's important to us, um, I think has also really helped through this whole process. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a, a greater appreciation for the things that we took for granted. And I mean, why wouldn't you take for granted being able to be around other people? We've always been able to do that. Right. And, you know, music making is, we all know the benefits of it. And it's become so, I always say it's like air. You don't realize it's that you're missing it until it's gone. Yeah, absolutely. And so having it back and having performances, it, it's, 
it being able to participate in them is mm -hmm. nice. Are you, so uh, what kind of performance opportunities are, are happening now? Um, and how are they different than what was before? I mean, I know you talked about having sure. masks and things like that, but I mean, obviously things haven't returned 100% to the way that they were. Yeah. So what does it look like now versus what the vision was? I think being able to, I mean, even I'm thinking about like rehearsal space. If you're able to have a rehearsal that's more than an hour without having to change rooms or, or have the air conditioning on when you're singing, you know, for air ventilation or whatever it is, that's a huge blessing when you don't have to do that. Um, you know, being able to, I remember when we first went into masks, we were um, in choral groups singing uh, outside six feet apart with masks on just because we had so many unknowns sure and gosh the sound quality and, and being able to hear and tune it was like impossible and these kids have no idea how hard that i mean they had no idea how hard that and i don't even think realized that um have they noticed so, it's easier now though yeah now they're so like they're like yeah remember this and sometimes you have to remind them say remember when we used to have to stand so far apart um we did a we did a show last year sometime um where we had to do social distance blocking and an acapella type show and, and masks and temperature checks and all these things. And, and then being able to not do that a little bit more and get back to kind of the way things were, you're like, oh yeah, that was so much simpler. There was so much that I just had to kind of get second nature to do. Um, I don't know. So I, 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 performance opportunities now, just the fact that we can have recitals again, that we can get those kids back to doing what they need to be doing and getting in front of people and playing. Um, I'm really excited and looking forward to it. Our Halloween recital was so much fun. We always do a Halloween recital every year where they dress up in costumes and it's a whole thing and we make a big deal out of it and, and it's super fun. And a lot of people like, like do they'll do like you know Halloween theme songs or like horror movie theme songs or something for their performances and it's really fun. So that those kind of traditions coming back are, are really exciting for us. Well, and you were talking about the additional complications of having performances, um, yeah, dovetailing that. Uh, You've got small children, I do too. Yeah. So it, it's kind of similar to you know, what your life is before that, you know, because my boys are soon to be four and six, and yeah. uh, and uh, your kids are what three? Five and, five? and yeah, three and three five. five. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you know, let's go somewhere. You got to budget fifteen minutes to get out the door oh, at least. Yeah. yeah, and it's funny because then you forget. I, and then even I'm thinking like going from one to two kids and then you're like oh yeah remember how I had to go everywhere with and have a bunch of stuff with me and then you go somewhere without your kids again and you're like oh this is so much easier yeah. I can get every so it's the same kind of thing you you adapt and you don't realize how many extra steps that are now involved in your life and in preparing for music and getting things and masks and whatever and it's just so it's such a different ball game or even co um, when we did the Nutcracker this uh, this past winter uh, we're doing all COVID tests to make sure we can sing maskless um, that's a whole thing that we didn't even think about you know or what are, where are we supposed to do with lunch where are we supposed to eat outside where you know how many rooms do we have available so that we can make sure that we're moving things all things that didn't exist a couple years ago that yeah. now are just second nature into our daily schedules right same kind of thing well in this is something that's near and dear to my heart as a business owner as well. How do you manage the small children at home, but business that needs to be attended to uh, problem? Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> for me, it's a work in progress. Well, I mean, a lot of my students will remember my uh, my babies sleeping in the middle of uh, our lessons in the guitar case. Yeah. <laughs> We've got great pictures of uh, my kids sleeping in the ukulele case or the guitar case and taking their naps. We were really blessed that we had enough space in our facility to put in a playpen or have the kids around and um, they know all the teachers there. So they would come in and say hi to Miss Jean or Miss Britta or Mr. Phil. They say hi and then they 
come in and and they'd have their little area where we'd teach and some days it's great and some days you're like oh my gosh I'm running 15 minutes behind in every single lesson because <laughs> you're just driving me nuts um, my husband and I both teach together which is helpful because we alternate our teaching days and schedules um, it's now afforded us the flexibility to, to deal with our kids school schedules and and have them home we're homeschooling at the moment just because it accommodates our flexibility yeah. with our teaching schedule um, but it's worked really well um, it's such a family-centric business you know that I think it lends itself really well to having your kids involved um, and it's cool now because you know my son's five he's starting to take music lessons with one of our teachers and and I just it, it, you kind of feel that sense of family community there mm -hmm. which is so so fun and it's it's also cool because I think uh, you know on our one of our uh, banners over at our booth we've got a picture of one of our teachers sons and it it was when we opened and we did a commercial like six years ago and he's so little now and he's 14 is <laughs> in high school and I see all my kid, you know, all these people who've been here since the start and every recital, I don't, they're not my students, so I don't see them on a weekly basis. I see them every semester and go, holy cow, look how much better, like you're doing way more complicated stuff than you were six months ago. That's amazing. So seeing that growth and, and letting our kids be a part of that and, and grow and, and where they're going and where they've been, it's so much fun. Well, so. yeah, and, and incorporating them into it is, you know, fun and exciting and different. Man, yeah. when I started with the, the podcasting store, uh, I wanted to get some demos of mics and do some videos and stuff, I incorporate the boys into that stuff all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, one, because it's cute and they're interested, but two, they don't use the stuff properly. So if right. it sounds good when they're using it, it's going to sound good <laughs> when anyone uses it. But I think that you're also touching upon something that I've really noticed. When you're a professional performer, your life isn't really your own, at least not while the season's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I used to do orchestra library work, uh, and that was my full-time job And um, you know, for the Philadelphia Orchestra and then Naples Philharmonic uh, down in Florida. You're working on someone else's schedule. Yeah. You know, at this time on this day, you're performing this piece, and right. you know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And if you can't do it, then they're going to find someone else to, to right. do that job. So if you want to do it, you have to sacrifice the time and make it work and make it happen. Exactly. And, and, and rehearsal schedules are so demanding too, just because of the time it takes to get things going together. Um, the thing too that I, I think about is, you know, we operate on a very weird, as musicians, a very weird schedule compared to normal people. Uh, normal, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, I love how seamlessly you said musicians versus normal people. Right. Oh, that's a Freudian. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's really funny because there are friends we have that aren't in music, and uh, and we're always like, let's get together. Oh, our schedules do not align on mm -hmm. like ninety percent of the time because all of our weekends are gone because we're gigging or yeah. we're rehearsing or both or teaching, and all of our weekday nights are gone because we're teaching lessons or gigging or whatever. But our mornings are wide open when everyone else is at work mm -hmm. or school, so it is a very different lifestyle. But it's such a it's a very, I don't know, when you find those kind of the, your people, um, it's its what makes it more fun, right? I mean, you can meet someone and they're musical and it doesn't, I mean, not that you're always going to be like perfect friends with them, but you can meet someone and start talking and just be like, oh my gosh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, there's and a, have a connection. An inherent way. deeper understanding already there and in place. But yeah, when you're talking about weird schedules, when I was uh, doing library work for the Brooklyn Philharmonic in New York, um, after performances, we'd go out and grab dinner. Yeah. So it's like we're you know, getting seated at 11 p.m. to have dinner. <laughs> right. As opposed to now, I mean, you know, the, the boys are in bed by, you know, 7. Yeah. Fingers crossed, usually closer to 8. And it's like, you know, life is just completely different. It's so much more rooted down with that. Right. But I, 
that to me is a huge benefit of not only being a business owner, but being in a non-performing side of music. It's some more normal life schedules because you can't really gig until one or two in the morning and have a loadout and you're not really getting in bed until close to three and sustain that when your kids are waking up at 6.45 in the morning and waking up. It's not, you're not going to, it's not physically possible. At some point you will shut down and like, it's not sustainable. So, you know, that's one of the things I, I, that you have to find that balance of being able to do with kids and, and whatever. And that's, I mean, luckily I married a musician, so we're (laughs) able to balance that so that when we've got big gig weekends or big show weekends or, or I've got, you know, camps or, or clinics that I'm doing that, that we can either bring the kids to the lessons with us and work with us or figure it out and divide and conquer so that nobody's really running ragged as much as human possible. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Stage. If you have ideas for future episodes or work in a non-performing role in the music industry and would like to tell your story, please contact me at drew at boomermusiccompany.com. I'm Drew Holmes. Thank you for listening as we explore careers in music beyond the stage.